Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is February the 14th, 2020. I wish all of you also a very happy Valentine's Day, uh, and I thank you for joining me. I know that I'm always getting new listeners, so I thought it might be helpful at the top of the program, at the beginning of my program, just to give you a quick overview of who I am and why I'm here. I haven't done this in a while, and anticipating that there are possibly new listeners today. I'm a retired senior special agent with what used to be the Immigration and Naturalization Service, an agency that has been replaced by the Department of Homeland Security's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, which is a total disaster. Uh, you know, it's amazing that in the wake of the terror attacks of 9-11 that the Bush administration would create a bureaucratic monstrosity that actually hampered the enforcement of our immigration laws and the securing of our borders, something that was pointed out uh, in great detail by John Hostetler at a hearing where I testified at the time John was the chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee under the Judiciary Committee. And John was a very, or is a very conservative Republican. He's no longer in Congress, <clears throat> but at the time he was the chairman and was angered and frustrated by the way that Homeland Security was concocted by the Bush administration. In fact, uh, altogether, I believe I testified before his subcommittee at least eight times. I've testified before other subcommittees and committees in both the House and Senate. I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. As an immigration agent, I've arrested and investigated terrorists. My very first fraud investigation, in point of fact, way back in 1976, I hate to admit how long ago it was, uh, I wound up tripping over a terror situation in a, when I was handed a case that was supposed to be a ground ball. You know, what do you give the new kid on the block? I had less than a year in as an agent. <clears throat> we had a uh, young man from Israel attempt entry at the United States with an altered visa. He had entered previously with that visa. It was a one-shot visa. And he changed the year of expiration and changed the number one to the number two in terms of how many entries could be made on that visa. It was picked up by a sharp inspector at the airport, a job that, by the way, I did for the first four years of my career with the old INS. And this guy was detained. I was told to take a statement. Long story short, he was with the PLO. I found on him documents, including a schematic of an Israeli oil refinery that was to be targeted for an attack by terrorists. I notified my bosses who notified the FBI. We brought the Israelis in. And the Israeli National Police was able to grab roughly a half dozen would-be co-conspirators about a week before the attack was to take place. Uh, and as you might imagine, from that day forward, I had a marvelous relationship with the work with the uh, Israeli National Police. <clears throat> and it also provided me with insight into this nexus between uh, immigration, border security, terrorism, national security, uh, and the dangers that we face. Um, I mentioned that I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission made it clear that first and foremost, not only the 9-11 attacks, but other terrorist attacks were only possible because of multiple failures of the immigration system. The problem is that the immigration system is not a law enforcement system, although it should be. It must be. President Trump sees it that way, and I don't always agree with President Trump. I'm not one of these guys who, no matter what Trump does, I'm going to say, yeah, he's right. He, he's not always right. Nobody's always right. I'm not always right. We need to question and challenge everybody. I urge you to challenge and question everything I tell you. But I will make a promise to you that I will do everything I can to base what I say on facts, articulable, verifiable facts. <clears throat> and if you look at the 9-11 Commission report and the companion document, 9-11 um, uh, uh, terrorist attack, 9-11 uh, terrorists and terrorist travel, or I, I believe that's the wording. I don't have it in front of me. It also goes into great detail about passports, travel documents, border security, immigration fraud. I write extensively about these issues, particularly for Front Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. In the past, I've written for the Social Contract. 
I also do podcasts with Dennis Michael Lynch over at Team DML. That's a subscription service. It's about getting the word out. On 9-11, those ashes landed on my house, and my outrage was multiplied by the fact that I had testified before an immigration subcommittee hearing back on May 20th, 1997, on the very topic of immigration fraud and visa fraud because of two terror attacks that were launched against America in 1993. January 93, a Pakistani by the name of Kansi drives a courier van that he was a partner in into the parking lot at the CIA. He had a permit to do that. <clears throat> jumped out of the van that cold morning with an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CAA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. And that's one of the things that foreign terrorists and criminals can do that Americans can't. They have an escape hatch. They get out of Dodge. They go back to their home country, and frequently that puts them out of the reach of our law enforcement, but not in the case of Kansi, given the nature of his attack. He was hunted down brought back to the United States, put on trial, found guilty, and subsequently executed. But the dead remain dead, and the injured remain injured. One month later, February 26, 1993, first bombing at the Trade Center, first attack at the Trade Center. <clears throat> Six dead, over 1,000 injured, a half billion in damages, and the tower almost toppled. Had that happened, God only knows what the casualty count would have looked like and what the damage would have looked like. Uh, we might still be suffering from it. This is the madness. And by the way, still suffering, uh, incidentally, includes the fact that right now roughly one first responder is dying every week to 10 days because of 9-11 related illness. And in fact, just last year, the Congress authorized lots more money. We're talking about tens of billions of dollars for people who are suffering and suffering badly and dying. The death count is not finished, but I want to put it in perspective. Because on September 11, 2001, 19 hijackers, not highly skilled, not much of anything going on with these pieces of garbage, those 19 hijackers roughly killed as many people on that day as the United States, the United States at Pearl Harbor lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. This is what asymmetrical warfare is all about. This is why it is so critical that we be careful as to who we let into the country. And today, folks, we have millions of people who are here. We have no idea who the hell they are. We don't know why they're here. But how many do you need to create a disaster? The two Tsarnaev brothers back on uh, April the 15th, 2013, wrecked havoc up in Massachusetts. You saw that a couple in California, again, wrecking havoc with guns and killing lots of people. It doesn't take a lot of terrorists to instill terror, asymmetrical warfare. And you would think that the reason for the 9-11 Commission, the idea of figuring out what went wrong, what the vulnerabilities were, that we would plug the holes, and we haven't. Because going back decades, our leaders, so-called, have been all about globalism, cheap labor. I love it when the Democrats say, we're trying to help the working Americans. You know, I'm a registered Democrat. My dad was a construction worker. He'll always be one of my very biggest heroes. He was a tradesman. My mom came to America as a 13-year-old, lived in a rooming house by herself in a strange country, speaking a language we didn't speak, had to leave her mother behind in Poland. Her mother couldn't get out, and she supported herself at $3 a week. Uh, when I hear about white privilege, by the way, uh, it really irks me. We should be looking for equality for all Americans. That's what we talk about when we hear about equal opportunities and uh, the end of discrimination. This toxic language, pointing fingers, you know, white supremacists. And by the way, white supremacists, the KKK, I have no use for those thugs. Anybody who could look at another human being and try to define who that other person is based on what I call the superficial facts, race, religion, ethnicity, they're a scourge. And that ideology is dangerous, and that's how we wound up with the Holocaust, which devastated how many millions and millions of people, families, created upheaval in the world. But when I hear this nonsense about the Democrats are looking out for the working families, they used to. That's why when I started voting, I signed up as a Democrat. But, but it was the Republicans who started this insanity of open borders. It was Ronald Reagan who gave us the first amnesty. That involved millions when it was supposed to involve just about one million. He gave us the visa waiver program that undermines national security. He gave us the visa lottery. Think about all this. 
So it's not left-right. Both parties are colluding with one another. And in fact, last year, the House of Representatives passed at least three bills that I'm aware of that were horrible bills, amnesty for uh, agricultural workers. This, this whole notion of amnesty, when you don't have the resources to interview everybody, let alone do a field investigation, is an open invitation to fraud, which is an open invitation to terrorists and criminals and gang members. All of the terrorists who've come to this country one way or another violated multiple sections of the immigration laws, frequently committing fraud, lying on their applications, lying about their identities, concealing their affiliation with terrorist organizations, and so forth. If you can't interview people live and in person, and you certainly don't have the facilities to go out and conduct field investigations, you are inviting fraud. And we go back to this notion about the 19 hijackers who killed on that one day roughly 3,000 people. And by now, God knows what the death count is. And more are dying and more are suffering. This is serious business. And all this so we can have cheap, exploitable labor. The immigration system has become a delivery system. And what it delivers is an unlimited supply of exploitable labor. And I promise you, exploitation is not the way you show compassion. It's also suppressing wages of displacing American workers, which is not supposed to happen. The immigration laws used to be enforced by the Labor Department to protect wages and jobs of Americans. Roosevelt was very big on enforcing the immigration laws. The idea was to get America out of the Depression, and you don't do that by not getting Americans to work. Every politician says, oh, I'm going to create jobs. Folks, those jobs don't mean a rat's tail unless Americans and lawful immigrants get to do the jobs. Bringing in foreign workers doesn't do anything for Americans. It doesn't do anything for America. And foreign workers send their money out of the country. So instead of investing in America and making purchases in America to keep the economy going, that was the whole point of the Obama economic stimulus package. The money is being shipped out by the tens of billions of dollars. Last year, Mexico received well over $30 billion in remittances. That's visible money. God only knows how much money went covertly that was not tracked. We're bleeding. We're bleeding red and we're bleeding green. You look at the gangs, you look at the drugs, you look at the violence, not just from Latin America. This isn't a Latino issue. As an immigration agent, I arrested individuals from virtually every country on the planet, every race, every religion, every flavor, because human nature is human nature. When we are cut, we all bleed red. I don't care what your skin color is, our blood is all red. And human nature is human nature, and every group has the good, the bad, and the ugly. So when I hear this nonsense about brown skin and all this other garbage, it infuriates me. Because of that terror case I worked on back in 1976, whenever the Israelis had a fugitive who fled to the United States, my phone would ring and my partner and I would go out and arrest him. And I've been accused by some of being anti-Semitic. I'm Jewish. I was a B'nai B'rith president back in college. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. And then you hear these nitwit politicians, these reckless idiots, calling immigration agents thugs like New York's Governor Cuomo. You know, there's been a big debate that we need more military on the border, and the president is right for diverting military funds to build the border wall, because I want you to look at immigration from a different angle today. With all the talk about whether or not we need the military to back up the border patrol on the border, the reality is that immigration law enforcement backs up the military. Think about it. The primary shared mission of all five branches of the U.S. Armed Forces, soon to be six, the Space Force. And by the way, I met one of the astronauts who's being assigned to the Space Force. What a great privilege that was. But the primary shared mission is to keep the enemies of America as far from our shores as possible. Up close and in person, however, ladies and gentlemen, that task falls to the Border Patrol and ICE agents. You may not know this, but the second largest contingent of federal law enforcement officers who are assigned to the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force are, in fact, immigration agents. I've arrested several, several terrorists, including an IRA terrorist. Again, I don't think that the Irish are considered Latinos. I got an award from the Japanese government for helping them with a cocaine smuggling investigation involving one of their uh, women, one of the citizens of Japan, who had come to the United States and was running cocaine back and forth between the United States and, and Tokyo. So I got a very nice police medal at the Japanese consulate in New York City. Again, Japan. Um, I've worked on Jamaican drug posses. Um, you name it, I've locked up Italian mobsters. The point is, 
the distinction that needs to be made is between between aliens and citizens. And the term alien isn't a pejorative, it's Orwellian, because we keep hearing this nonsense, undocumented, undocumented. Aliens who run the border are entering uninspected. At a minimum, they are trespassing. And Chuck Schumer is the guy who says, oh, we need a new federal law that makes trespassing on critical infrastructure or national landmarks a five-year federal felony with a five-year penalty to deter people from conducting that dangerous crime. He's right. But the same Chuck Schumer and friends of his like Nancy Pelosi and Governor Cuomo will tell you that once aliens do trespass on America, then they should be given citizenship. Lunacy. We naturalize hundreds of thousands of new citizens every year. We admit over a million lawful immigrants every year. This isn't about being anti-immigrant. It's being pro-enforcement. And if you look at the victims who are generally killed by foreign gangs, whether it's the uh, MS-13, and I started investigating them in 1991, 1992, and they were a small problem. The unaccompanied minor program flooded America with those gangs. Uh, whether you're talking about them or you're talking about Asian organized crime or the Jamaican posses or the Italian mob or the Israeli mob, I don't care what flavor, generally the people most likely to suffer the violence are the people who live within their ethnic immigrant communities because that's where they live and operate. It's rare that some guy by the name of Smith, Jackson, or Goldstein is knifed by MS-13. Look at the names. They're Latinos. Look at the names of the victims of Chinese gangs. They're Asian. If you really want to protect the immigrants, enforce the immigration laws. You know, so many people come to America not only for economic opportunity and perhaps religious freedom, but for safety. They want to get away from the violence, the insanity in their home country. We're seeing that down in Latin America. We want to get away from the gangs. Okay, and when they get here, guess what they find? The gangs are here. The gangs are here. And in fact, MS-13 has a slogan that says, rape, torture, murder, control. And that's what they do, and they're doing it in the schools. And when we hear this divisive nonsense, oh, the president needs to appeal to the Latino voters. If you think that Americans who are Latino or Americans who are black or Americans who are Jewish, by virtue of their races or their religions, have different goals than other Americans, if you believe that we can divide America that way, then you're two things. Number one, you're a damn idiot. Number two, you're a bigot. Americans are Americans are Americans. I don't know of any Latino American who is hoping that his kids wind up getting recruited or attacked by MS-13. The same thing could be said of every ethnic group. People want to live in peace. They want to be successful. They want opportunities. And most importantly, they want to live in safety. The outrage is when these people come to America as immigrants and they're excited to be here. And they wake up to the reality that the thugs they were running from are here now in this country and continue to threaten them here. And because they are transnational, they have a foot in two different countries, they continue to threaten their family members back home if they don't play ball with them here. Is that really what America should be doing? This is nuts. It's nuts. Uh, Talking about the dangers that we're facing. Uh, We have to talk about my latest article for Front Page Magazine. I hope after you listen to my program, you'll go to frontpagemag.com and check out my article, Pelosi Attacks Trump for Protecting American Lives, and the subtitle, Does Expansion of Entry Restrictions for Aliens Strengthen or Weaken National Security? And again, as I told you, when I write something, I will give you articulable facts because, you know, (laughs) opinions are like backsides. Everyone's got one. I don't want you to blindly follow anything that I say. That is the last thing that I want. I want to be thought-provoking. I want to encourage you to ask the right questions. The biggest return that we get from our space program is the next set of questions. Voltaire very properly said that you judge a person's intelligence by the questions that they ask. Well, you will find out in my article that on January 31st, Three things happened. Number one, the Justice Department issued a press release with the title Fugitive Wanted by Iraq for the Murder of Iraqi Police Officers Arrested in Arizona. And it turns out that this individual, um, who was from Al-Fallujah, and according to Iraqi authorities, is a leader of al-Qaeda, 
in Iraq. His name is Ali Yusuf Ahmed Al-Nuri. He's 42 years of age. He's been living here, according to published news reports, for 10 years, came as a refugee, is now running a driving school in Arizona, married, has a child in the United States. The allegation, as articulated in the Justice Department press release and as indicated in news reports, was this guy had been involved in the murder of two police officers back around, I think it was 06, a couple of years before he came here legally, lied about his crimes, lied about his alleged connections to al-Qaeda, and here he is. Well, obviously, the vetting system failed. It's failed repeatedly. You know, the Tsarnaev brothers were given lawful status. Their parents got political asylum in the United States. One of them was a naturalized citizen. The screening process failed. All the stuff should have been picked up. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, became a naturalized citizen roughly a year before he set off a car bomb in 2010 in Times Square. We're failing. We don't have the resources to properly screen people. That's the bottom line. So the president looked at this, and, you know, they keep saying his travel ban. It's not a travel ban. It's an entry restriction. If you want to see what a travel ban looks like, look at China. They've shut down train lines and bus lines. They've turned off elevators in some buildings. They've closed movie theaters and shopping centers, and they told people, stay in your house, don't come out. It's draconian, but that's what happens when you live in a totalitarian state. Remarkably, and if I get to it, I may have to talk about this, because uh, Laura Ingram, and I love Laura's program. I've been on her show a few times. Um, Laura was talking about how, and she showed a video clip of Mike Bloomberg being questioned about the Chinese government, the fact that it's a communist country, and he couldn't bring himself to say that it's a dictatorship. He said that the country, the government answers to the people. Really? <laughs> you got to be kidding. Uh, you you got to wonder about Mike Bloomberg. But what was pointed out in the program was his investments that uh, interconnect with China. Always follow the money, you know. So we, we have this very serious problem where we can't vet people. And, and, and President Trump said, look, we're now going to add five more countries to the list of countries where we will restrict the entry of their citizens. Now, he's not totally barring people from Nigeria and five other countries, but we will not be issuing them immigrant visas and so forth until they clean up their act because we're not getting the kind of data that we need so that we know who we're admitting. I mean, I would actually argue that if you can't trust the data, don't let them in, period. Don't let them in, period. Because once they're here, they get lost. We only have 6,000 ICE agents, and more than half of their efforts go to other than immigration law enforcement. So in essence, we maybe have the equivalent of 2,500 immigration agents for the entire United States of America. If you don't think this is a failure by design, get checked out at the local hospital. Put it in perspective, New York City. New York City has 38,000 police officers. The U.S. military, again, that relationship, right, 1.3 million members, uh, full-time members of the U.S. Armed Forces. TSA has 45,000 people, but enforcing the immigration laws for the whole country, the equivalent of 2,500 at best, at best. Do you think we're really serious about this, even after the 9-11 Commission warned that the interior enforcement of our immigration laws was a critical component of national security and efforts to thwart terrorism? Of course, because the globalists are getting what they want. We're not. People are dying every day from gangs, from narcotics. Last year, 70,000 people died of opiate overdoses. Those opiates come across the border. Yes, I know there's prescription drugs. I'm sure some of you are thinking about that. But heroin and cocaine and these other poisons are coming from outside the country. That's the real metric about border security, and there ain't none. And it's not just the Mexican border. We're a country of 50 border states. Any state with an international airport, any state that lies along our northern or southern borders, any state that has access to America's 95,000 miles of meandering coastline are all border states. So who are we leaving out? So the president said, if we can't vet these people, we're going to restrict their entry. Nancy Pelosi, this happened the same day as the story. Now, I don't know if the president's decision had anything to do with the press release from the Justice Department about the arrest of this apparent terrorist living in Arizona. And by the way, the fact that this guy is in Arizona running a driving school, I do worry that perhaps he was using that, that, that ability with vehicles to move people around. You know, when, when you think about the 93 attack at the CIA, it involved a truck. When you think about a courier van, when you think about the bombing of the Trade Center, it involved a truck 
that was rented by an illegal alien, an alien who was out of status. He had violated the terms of his admission and was driven by another Middle East alien who was also out of status. So those two attacks involve motor vehicles. Around the world today, you don't see airplanes being used in hijackings, right? What's the weapon of choice? Trucks, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in France, motor vehicles. Either it gets the terrorists to the location the vehicle can be used for surveillance. The vehicle can be used for uh, clandestine meetings. You know, I look at the world differently, having been an agent for 30 years. If I was following somebody as an agent, and we did lots of those surveillances, and some guy gets into his car, and he drives for an hour, and he pulls into a parking lot, and he sits down in a restaurant, and 15 minutes later, some other guy rolls up and sits down at the table with him, you know they're having a meeting. Pretty obvious. But if a guy is driving an Uber and some guy gets in the back seat or a taxi cab or an airport limo or he's working a coffee stand or an ice cream truck, we've seen all these used by terrorists. People are constantly coming up to them. They're interacting. And they don't even need to have a conversation in this day and age. All you do is pass somebody money. You know, you buy ice cream, you give them money. You're in the back of the Uber. You could leave behind a little SD card from a computer. The capabilities of SD cards, is the, the, the capability of those, of those um, computers to hold data is incredible. During the Second World War, the big deal was the micro dot and microfilm. You know, they had the little Minox cameras, if you remember the, the old spy movies from, from the Second World War. Today, you give somebody a memory card and you're giving them not an encyclopedia, but the whole damn library with videos and photographs and everything so you can have a brush contact where the guy gets in the back of a car goes you know for a five minute ride gets out is he really going to his dentist was this a meeting you don't know and even if you bug the vehicle and that can be done under court order they don't have to have a conversation the guy gets in the car and says nothing he gets to the destination and leaves it behind in the back seat or there's a card waiting for him in the back seat when he shows up or if it's a taxi cab he gives the guy money and the guy gives him change, and wrapped in those, in those bills of money could be a memory card. I don't care if you have 100 people with binoculars surveilling that car. No one is going to be able to see the fact that rolled up in the money was, it was a computer memory card. If you're driving a yellow cab in midtown Manhattan, it's like being in a treehouse in a forest. You're invisible. They're so ubiquitous. That's why this business with driver's licenses is so dangerous. And we'll get a little bit more into that momentarily. But going back to Pelosi, uh, and, and what happened was we have this guy arrested. Obviously, the vetting system failed. The president reacted appropriately. And he said, okay, we're going to limit. And Pelosi immediately comes out. This all happened on January 31st. You can look it up. And read my article, you'll see links to the articles that happened to appear on The Hill, which is a relatively liberal uh, website. But, you know, the, there were lots of newspaper accounts of the same three stories so pelosi immediately comes out and what does she say the president is acting in an un-american way undermining our security and undermining the rule of law how is he undermining the rule of law title 8 united states code section 1182 and this is something the president should have talked about as soon as he issued that executive order when he became president about those six or seven countries and they immediately called it a travel ban. He called it an executive order. He got it wrong. It should have been a proclamation from day one. And that same law was used by Jimmy Carter when the Iranians overran our embassy. That same law was invoked by Obama and by George W. Bush. And it's a wide-ranging authority granted specifically and solely to the President of the United States. Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, enumerates the categories of aliens to be excluded from the United States. It's good for you to read it. Please read it. It talks about aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. And, and think what's going on right now with the coronavirus. And isn't it remarkable that there are ships that are being denied births in countries around the world for fear that there may be people on the ship who are sick? Okay, think about that. And no one's saying a word. The European Union is now talking about closing their borders with their neighboring countries. The European Union. Is anybody yelling they're haters, they're bigots, they're racists? 
xenophobes? No. Why are they doing it? They don't want a pandemic. Let's remember Ellis Island was a quarantine station, okay? At the time of its completion, I believe it consisted of 22 buildings, and it was the biggest hospital complex in America at the time. And by the way, if people came in sick because we didn't have antibiotics, if you had pink eye, it could kill you. It could kill other people. If someone had tuberculosis, if someone had, they would send you home. And your family had to make a decision. If the mama bear was okay, but papa bear was sick, and now you've got the children, does she come to America and her husband goes home by himself? Or does she and her children get on the boat with their with her, with her husband, their father, and go back to their home country? That was the choice they had to make. No ifs, ands, or buts. No, no screwing around. You either were passed by public health, because public health and immigration ran Ellis Island, or you didn't get passed. And if you were denied entry, and that's why it was on an island. And by the way, Ellis Island, make no mistake, was an artificial island. You may not know this. Here's an interesting fact. Ellis Island was built on the rocks and the debris that were dug out to create the New York City subway system. It was an artificial island specifically placed there so that nobody could get to the mainland of the United States unless they were brought to the mainland on a government-run boat. There was no such thing as catch and release. And the staircase walking into the main hall, and I've been there. My mother came through Ellis Island. My dad's family came through Ellis Island. There was this grand staircase. Amazing. It was a cardio test. Because back then they didn't have electronic devices to figure out if you were healthy. So they positioned doctors and nurses strategically, public health officials, on the staircase. So if some guy walking up the staircase or some woman walking up the staircase was wheezing and breathing hard, guess what? They were sent back. Why? If you can't walk up a staircase, there's no way you're going to do manual labor. And the great majority of jobs that were taken by the immigrants arriving in the United States 100 years ago involved physical manual labor. You had to be physically tough and mentally agile. If you lacked those qualities, even if you didn't have a disease, back you went. There was no conversation about this. That's just the way it was. There's an amazing documentary, and I provided the link to the documentary in a couple of my articles. Check out the documentary. Let's have a conversation based on facts, not accusations, not finger-pointing, not name-calling. Facts. As an agent, I dealt with facts. So the list of excludable aliens, aliens with dangerous communicable diseases, mental illness, criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals, human traffickers, drug smugglers, fugitives from justice, aliens who have been previously deported. And then we get to aliens who have become a public charge or aliens who, if they work, would displace American workers similarly employed or drive down wages and working conditions. Not one word in our laws today have anything to do with race, religion, ethnicity. If they did, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone for the 30 years that I was with the INS. So please understand what we're talking about. And one of the other sections of of, uh, Title VIII United States Code, Section 1182, is 1182F, and it enumerates the president's discretionary authority. And here's what it says. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. By the way, I've got to interrupt this. Think of how low a bar that is. Detrimental to the interest. What does that mean? What does that mean? It doesn't say they have to have an atom bomb. It doesn't say they have to be wanted for killing 48 people. It doesn't mean that they have to be suffering from the Ebola virus. All it says, and I'll read it again, whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he, that is the president, may by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens, all aliens or of any class of aliens, as immigrants or non-immigrants, even if they have green cards, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions, any restrictions that he may deem to be appropriate. Under that law, tomorrow morning, the president can issue a proclamation that says 
we will not allow any non-citizen entry into the United States, period. And he has a 100% right and authority to do so, understanding immigration law that goes back to 1952 and earlier. That's the law. But Pelosi says he's acting illegally. He's undermining the rule of law. How is that undermining the rule of law? If he says there, there are these five additional countries, or six additional countries, and we're going to restrict their entry because we can't properly vet them. And we keep hearing this garbage, Muslim-majority countries, Muslim-majority countries. Venezuela is on the list because Venezuela has been working with Hezbollah um, and, and with the Quds forces. General Soleimani, who was killed, was in charge of the Quds forces. And you may not remember this, folks. But during the time that Obama was running for re-election, the FBI and Homeland Security, which is the division of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, arrested Mexican gang members who had been contracted by the Quds forces, Soleimani specifically, to kill the Saudi ambassador here in the United States in Washington, D.C., and blow up the Saudi embassy and possibly blow up the Israeli embassy at the same time. That's what we're dealing with. So Venezuela is on the list. Okay. And if the president wanted to go after Muslims, why wasn't Indonesia on the list? Because Indonesia has the greatest population of any Muslim majority country on the planet. In fact, the population of Indonesia is roughly the same as the population of all six countries on the initial list combined. But this is how the news media portrays the story. The president is trying to protect us, and he gets accused of racism. I've been accused of being anti-immigrant. I'm first-generation American. My mom came here at the age of 13. My dad's parents came uh, from Russia, when he was, uh, and he was born here a year or two after they came here. I don't have a problem with legal immigration, provided it lives up to the standard of not permitting in aliens who would hurt us or take our jobs. It's just a very simple concept. You're not antisocial if you look through your peephole before you admit a stranger into your home. In fact, when I helped Arizona with the lawsuit, when the Obama administration sued Arizona over SB 1070, if you remember that, I described my four-year tenure at the airport as an inspector as the time that I had my eye to the peephole on America's front door, making certain we're not letting in people who would pose a threat to our safety or well-being. But Pelosi comes out and says the president is acting unconstitutionally. He's undermining the rule of law. He's endangering our safety. How does it endanger our safety if you're trying to keep out people who might want to blow us up? But nobody challenged her. And they always throw in about the Constitution. So why don't we look at Article 4, Section 4 of the United States Constitution? The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. Folks, I would argue that the presence of millions of aliens who entered without inspection, who ran the borders, who violated our laws, constitutes an invasion. I mean, how else could you define an invasion? Okay? Shall protect each of them against invasion or an application of the legislature or the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So we're talking about gangs, we're talking about terrorists, we're talking about the drug cartels, we're talking about international fugitives. You would think this is straightforward. In fact, if you look at the 9-11, uh, the report 9-11 and terrorist travel, um, here's, here's, in fact, I provide a link to that report. I have links to all of this in my articles. That's why I would love for you to read it. I know in this day and age, people like to just look at a headline and move on. If you wanted to develop an understanding of complex issues, and this is certainly a complex issue, you have to invest the time and effort to read the material. Otherwise, your opinions are worthless and you're flying blind in a storm. You know, some politician gets up, we're going to secure the border. And everyone goes, yay. And they go home and they have no idea what it means. We're putting drones on the border. Everyone says, yay, drones on the border. Drones do nothing except cost a lot of money. The GAO did a study, and they found that fewer than one-half of 1% one of all arrests are involved the use of drones. So why do they put drones on the border? To create the illusion that they're meeting the demands of their constituents while making damn sure that that delivery system keeps right on humming. And again, I remind you, it delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign students, foreign tourists, 
That's for the immigration lawyers of both parties, whether Bob Goodlatte, when he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, immigration lawyer, had a very successful H-1B visa practice before he came to Congress. He was a Republican. He is a Republican. Today, the Democrats control the House, as we all know. Well, guess what? Zoe Lofgren, the chair of the House Immigration Subcommittee, where I've testified numerous times, is an immigration lawyer. Okay? Both parties. It's not about getting the aliens out of the shadows, folks. It's about getting them into the waiting rooms of the law firm so they can make money. They have a vested interest. They have a conflict of interest. But the other thing that this does is to provide an unlimited supply of people who need housing. In fact, uh, Mayor de Blasio in New York actually said that people should be renting out basements, garages, and sheds in their backyards and he called them tiny houses or tiny homes or tiny apartments, whatever the hell it was. This is New York City. This is the, the big apple turning into the rotten apple. The subways don't run. Crime has gone through the roof. And the police and judges are being forced to release, to release people back on the street after they commit so-called nonviolent crimes, which somehow includes bank robbers and child molesters. If you don't think robbing a bank is a violent crime, I want to know what the hell you think a violent crime is. If you don't think that a child molester is committing an act of violence against a helpless child, I want to know what the hell is going on between your ears. This is lunacy. And by the way, there's a new immigration bill pending called the New Way Forward Act that wouldn't only uh, that would uh, require that an alien not only be convicted of a felony to be deported even if they have a green card but they have to be sentenced to serve more than five years in jail so if some guy rapes a five-year-old girl and the judge gives him four and a half years to serve we couldn't deport him and we'd have to bring back the hundreds of thousands of aliens who were deported in past years because this would be retroactive it would decriminalize the use of fake passports which by the way was one of the key methods of entry and embedding of the terrorists not just on 9-11. It would decriminalize unlawful reentry, get deported, come back illegally, no crime, and you'd be able to stay anyway. So basically, we no longer have a need for customs and border protection because it wouldn't matter how you came here. Once you're here, you have every single possible right to stay here forever and always. This is an orchestrated invasion. And what do you think that would do to the wages of Americans? What do you think it would do for the education of our children? This is nuts. This is nuts. If you can't control who comes into your country, you're done. And it's remarkable because Menendez and Cory Booker from New Jersey demanded when the coronavirus sprang out, oh, we've got to make sure that everybody who comes in is coming from those parts of the world. We have to have medical screening for everybody arriving at Newark Airport. I agree with them. But did they ever stop to think that when people run the border, there is no knowledge that they're even here? How the hell do you plan to screen them? The contradictions are beyond belief. But nobody pays attention, and nobody asks them to justify what they're saying. How crystal clear should this be? If you can't figure out who somebody is, don't let them in. Aliens do not have an inherent right to be present in the United States. It's just that simple. And then we have what's going on now with President Trump and New York's Governor Cuomo, who has referred to ICE agents as thugs. And he said the president wants access to motor vehicle information so he could send ICE agents out on a feeding frenzy. Feeding frenzy. His words have had impact. Assaults on immigration agents have more than doubled since he's been running his stupid mouth. Immigration agents aren't thugs. But that's what he, how he refers to them, thugs, feeding frenzy. You go out to make an arrest when you have legal sufficiency. Legal, you don't just go around rounding up people, and that's the language they use. I've heard people compare ICE agents to the Gestapo. That really warms my heart. Those dirtbags destroyed the world, destroyed my personal family. My first wife, who died of cancer over 30 years ago, her mother was in a concentration camp. Her father was on the run like that, that, that movie, I can't think of the name now, where he was hiding in the forest of Poland. His brother was machine gunned by the Nazi scumbags. 
And they have no problem comparing immigration law enforcement officers with the SS. And you use that language and you obfuscate the issue. And that's why we've got to stop using the term political correctness to describe the propaganda that we're being fed. It's being jammed down our throats. The term alien is not a pejorative. It's a legal term. And under Section 1101 of the Immigration and Nationality Act, that has all the definitions. How do you enforce a law if you don't know what you're dealing with? Every, every law has definitions. <clears throat> if you look at the drug laws, they define what a dangerous drug is. They have different schedules of drugs. If you look at ATF, they define what a firearm is. How can you arrest someone for possession of a firearm if you don't know what a firearm legally is? So everything literally, literally has to be spelled out. An alien under our laws is defined. And you tell me if there's an insult here. Tell me if this sounds like the N-word, because it's not. It's a lie. It's a fantasy. It's a fabrication. The term alien under the law means simply any person not a citizen or national of the United States, period, full stop. Any person not a citizen or national of the United States. Where is the insult? I have many friends, but if I'm not related to them, they are not a part of my family. People who come to the United States who are not citizens aren't bad people. They're not ugly. They don't smell bad. They're not immoral. They're not stupid. They're an alien, which simply means they're not a citizen. If I go to Canada, as soon as I cross that border, guess what? Under international law, I become an alien in Canada by virtue of not being a citizen of that country. If I go to Mexico, they use the term extranjero. Extranjero means stranger or foreigner or alien. How do you want to define it this is a recognized international law but you know what's so remarkable again the hypocrisy the dream act is actually an acronym and of course everyone has forgotten that it's an acronym and it stood for development relief and education of alien minors so the word alien became palatable in fact acceptable because it's linked to this image of the american dream relief uh, um, development and relief uh, education of alien minors so now the word alien is okay because they had to find some way of coming up with an acronym that that conjures up the image of the american dream startling by the way the dream act was a way of getting around the fact that comprehensive immigration reform repeatedly failed to pass in the house and the president obama said Congress failed to act. How did it fail to act? It didn't pass the bill. Look at the Constitution. Congress is not compelled to pass bills. Congress is compelled to vote on bills if they make it to the floor. When Congress says no, it's not a failure to act. The parent who tells the child, hey, Johnny, you can't go to the party until you do your homework, that parent isn't failing to act. The parent is acting responsibly by saying to the kid, no party unless you do your homework. When Congress says no to a bill, it's not a failure to act. And by the way, the age cutoff for the DREAM Act, now we'd be up to, to late 30s. Why late 30s? Well, the alien has to claim they came in prior to their 16th birthday. But with no capacity to interview them, we're talking millions of people. With no capacity to conduct field investigations, how do you know when the person came in if they ran the border? You run the border, there's no record of, of, of entry that's created. So we don't even know who the hell these people are or when they got here. But nobody talks about that. And when you watch the programs, including the conservative shows, these folks will sit in front of those cameras and they'll say, well, if that person's been living here for the last eight years and they've never been arrested, of course we should let them stay. Well, that's an interesting premise, although sleeper agents are very careful to not get arrested. That's the whole point. They stay very low. It's like the Nazi war criminals. Don't attract attention. Don't spit on the sidewalk. Don't disagree with anybody. Don't jaywalk. Be a good little boy. Be a good little girl. And just wait for the day that we tap you on the shoulder and you blow up a building or shoot somebody or stab somebody or fly an airplane into a tall building. But on top of that, how do you know how long an illegal alien has been living here without the capacity to interview them and then do a field investigation? Now, what you may not know, and I spent the years in adjudications offices. See, I did all these jobs. 
is that you can approve an application in 15 or 20 minutes, but it could take you days or longer to deny an application because then you have to develop a case. You have to develop evidence and write a formal report because you have to anticipate that if you deny an application, the alien in question will hire an attorney who will file an appeal and look to overturn your decision. So you have to have legal sufficiency before you can deny an application. The easiest way to dispose of a case is approve the application and nobody bothers you. That's how you meet the quotas and that's how you clear up backlogs. Get out that rubber stamp and go to work. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. And in fact, the approval rate for the Dreamers, so-called, was over 95%. And again, immigration fraud was a key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. So Governor Cuomo comes out today. I was listening to him on the radio. It was not the way I wanted to start my morning. I have a shower radio. And he said, my daughter drives a car and I don't want her on the road with unlicensed motorists. I agree. I have kids. They drive. I certainly don't want them on the road with us. So what's the solution? Give everybody a license. So when I testified before the New York State Senate about the driver's license, that was the point. Well, if we give these people licenses, they have to go to work. They're not supposed to be working. They're taking jobs from Americans and lawful immigrants, driving down wages. Okay? But that's what they're doing. So I said to the New York State legislature, and and it looked like a Chinese fire drill. Lots of the members of the Democrat side got up and walked out. They were angry. I said, saying that because people are going to violate the law and drive anyway, the solution isn't to arrest them the way you would with drunk drivers or speeders. God forbid. What a novel thought. I mean, think of the way they go after drunk drivers and speeders. They have public relations campaigns, and they warn you, if we catch you, you're screwed. You know, it looks like SWAT descends on the car because you picked up your phone or because they can smell booze on your breath. That's how you stop people from doing what they're not supposed to do. You don't legalize what they're doing and say, well, now it's no longer a problem. You understand the point. So I said convicted felons carry firearms anyway. So by that reasoning, we ought to be giving every convicted felon a carry permit and firearms training. With proper training, if we could improve their accuracy, they'd be much less likely to hit an innocent bystander in the event of a shootout. And maybe through training, you can convince them to use trigger locks between their crimes. You could now claim you've made New York safer. And I said, the fact that this is a federal problem, listen, the same borders that permit the, the, the drugs into the country permit aliens into the country. So if you don't think that the federal government should be assisted by the state government where aliens are concerned, then I want to know how many people are willing to end all narcotics investigations since most of the narcotics that are being seized cross that same border. And that was when it looked like three-quarters of the Democrat side of the New York State Senate got up and walked out. The videotape of the hearing that I was promised somehow got erased. This is what we're dealing with. It's lunacy. Um, Motor vehicles, I told you, dangerous. New York State is blocking access to motor vehicle computers to help shield the immigrants. Folks, immigrants don't need shielding. If I go to a sobriety checkpoint, it may mean I'm going to be a little bit late getting to my appointment, but it doesn't cause me any fear. I'm happy they're there. It keeps the drunks off the road. It keeps people off the road of outstanding warrants and no licenses. That's called deterrence through enforcement. Immigrants have nothing to fear. Illegal aliens should be fearful because they violated our laws. They've trespassed on America. Perhaps they've committed identity theft. So they can work here, which creates a nightmare for the people. But immigration isn't only. Uh, and by the way, there's one other point I have to make, and this is a very important point. There was just an article about how two New York City police officers were shot. I'm sure you've seen the article. It was an assassination attempt. Turns out it's MS-13 that's behind it. And there was an article in a law enforcement website that ICE agents arrested a guy who was part of the threat who gave them more information that it was ICE who warned the New York City Police Department about a credible threat that there are are members of MS-13 who are being harbored in New York City, by the way, uh, that may try to kill police officers. So ICE is trying to help the cops, and the cops have their hands tied. I testified at a murder trial years ago. It was horrible because I had physically deported a Panamanian who had multiple convictions for drugs, weapons, and violence. He lost his green card. He had the card, but he lost it. And um, 
I was just told that my program just went off the air. I don't know if that happened or not. Uh, let me just check my website. Hmm. I don't know why that is. Hang on one second, folks. Um, so anyway, the, the New York City Police Department is trying to help, uh, rather, ICE is trying to help the New York City Police Department. And, and, and finally, the last thing I want to talk about, and I hope that you're still getting the program, although someone just texted me that you're not, so I'm not sure what's really going on. I hate computers sometimes. Uh, back when I was an agent, I used to have a sign on my wall that said, to air is human, to really screw up, you need a computer. But in any event, um, here is a headline from the National Review, and it was just posted February 13th, yesterday. Department of Education opens investigation into Harvard-Yale over Chinese and Saudi funding. And it went on and said, uh, let's see, here we go. This, I'm going to read from the article. The Education Department has opened an investigation into Harvard and Yale amid suspicions that the Ivy League schools failed to report about hundreds of millions of dollars in funding from foreign countries, some of which are openly hostile to the United States. Officials said in a letter this week that they are probing whether the universities accepted about $375 million from China, Iran, Russia, Russian collusion, folks, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia, the Wall Street Journal reported. In some cases, the schools actively sought out the foreign funding from sources that were potentially looking to steal research or, quote, spread propaganda that benefited the foreign government, according to Education Department documents. The funding did not, however, go towards reducing tuition costs for the students. I wonder where the money was going. Who was lining their pockets, I wonder. And then the article goes on and says, in some cases, um, okay, and, and, and this says, universities are required by law to report gifts and contracts from foreign sources worth more than 250000 per year. Uh, really? I wasn't allowed to take a cup of coffee on duty as an agent. 250000 Goodness gracious. And it says this. Last month, the chairman of Harvard's chemistry department, Charles Lieber, was charged with lying to federal officials about grants from China, sparking the government's closer look at the university's foreign funding. Uh, the Education Department has sent letters to both Harvard and Yale requesting all documents and foreign funding and gifts. And um, so here we are. Anyway, uh, apparently my program is off the air. I don't know how that happened. Um, so um, I'm, I'm going to presume that I'm no longer broadcasting. As I said, I, I really have an issue with computers sometimes, but such as life, or maybe somebody doesn't like what I'm saying. You just never know in this wacky world. And that's not a statement of paranoia, by the way. So, uh, But, I, I, you know, look, folks, the bottom line is this. We as Americans need to be involved. Elections have consequences. We have politicians accepting bribes, because that's exactly what campaign contributions are. And the reason they've been getting away with this, they, the ruling elite, and what is supposed to be a democratic republic, is because we as Americans have done a lousy job of living up to our obligation as citizens of this republic. We need to be involved. We need to have conversations with our neighbors, not fights, not arguments, but honest-to-God conversations. We need to be involved. That is what you do in a democracy. So please get involved, folks. Have those conversations. Enjoy the weekend. But remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. Please go to the, uh, my, my own website, michaelcutler.net. Check out my articles at frontpagemag.com. Uh, and, and give thought, perhaps, to signing up to become part of Team DML, where I do a minimum of two podcasts each and every week, video podcasts. It's all about getting to you the information that you are not going to get from the mainstream media. And that's what we do here. As uh, George Orwell said, in the time of universal deceit, telling the truth, is a revolutionary act. I thank you so much for listening. Um, hopefully you got all of this. I don't know with the computer being what it is. And I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be well.